Hi, my name is Nate. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 54, 1 through 10. Sing, barren woman, who has bore no child. Break forth into singing. Cry out, you who were never in labor, for the child of the wife who has deserted you will be more numerous than the children of the married, says the Lord. Enlarge the height of your tent. Stretch out the drapes of your dwellings. Don't hold back. Lengthen your tent ropes and strengthen your stakes. To the right and to the left you will burst out, and your children will possess the nations, land and settle their desolate cities. Don't fear, because you won't be ashamed. Don't be dismayed, because you won't be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth. You will no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. The one marrying you is the one who made you. The Lord of heavenly forces is his name. The one redeeming you is the Holy One of Israel. The one called the Lord of all the earth. As an abandoned, he dejected the woman, and the Lord was summoned, summoned you. As a young wife, when she is rejected, says your God, for a brief moment I abandoned you, but with Mary, with great mercy, I bring you back. In an outburst of rage, I hide my face from you for a moment. But with an everlasting love, I find concealed you, says your Redeemer, the Lord. These are like the days of Noah for me, when I promised that Noah's waters would never again cover the earth. Likewise, I promise not to rage against you or rebuke you. The mountains may shift, the hills may be shaken, but my faithful love won't shift from you, and my covenant of peace won't be shaken, says the Lord, the one who pities you. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Mike. The New Testament reading found in James 4, 1 through 6, the, the message translation. Where do you think all of those appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way. You fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You won't think of just asking for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies with God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that God's or his, he's a fierce, fiercely jealous lover, and that he gives in love 
is far better than anything else you'd find it find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. The word of the Lord. My name is Lisa, and this is Max. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke first, or chapter 2, 10 through 14. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For, for unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there will be with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. That was well done, McQueen family. Not easy passages to read, for sure. Well, here we are in the second week of Advent. Uh, Advent is the official beginning to the Christian year, and we talked last week about how we all need a way to mark time. And actually, we need more than that. We need a way to mark time that also reminds us of our hope. And so the Christian year is not about a legalistic ritual thing or sort of this, this bondage thing. Really, the spirit of of Marking time this way is we're marking time around the life of Christ, Christ who is our living hope. And so when we begin at Advent, we begin with this longing and we journey towards Christmas and we rejoice at the gift that we've been given in Christ. And then we come to Epiphany and we see that this baby is not just a baby but is the king of all and we recognize his rule and we we, we begin to see him for who he is, his divinity, his kingship. And then all of a sudden we, we go into our journey of Lent and we start to recognize that this king is making himself low. He is a humble king. This king is taking on the very depths of our suffering and our pain and our grief. And we're going to have that journey together during Lent so that when we come to the cross and then when we come to Easter, we'll understand maybe just a little bit more. We'll see with, with maybe new eyes this beautiful and wonderful Savior, Jesus. And then it goes into the season of Pentecost and you know the church being commissioned out into the world. But here we are today, week two of Advent, and the word is peace. And we've been singing about it a little bit. We've had um, some scriptures that make us think of peace. And maybe the one we think of the most is the one that we see on Christmas cards based on the gospel reading text that we heard this morning. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Now you noticed... That wasn't quite how it was phrased this morning. We'll get to that in a moment. But peace on earth, that alone seems troubling. Because if we take an honest look around us, we'd say, where? Where? It's been 2,000 years. I'm not sure I see it. I'm not sure I find it. Where is this peace? If this Jesus really came to bring peace on earth, if it's true that what the angels sang about that said, now peace is breaking into the world, then I want to know where it is. Because all we need to do is look at the headlines or watch the news and we can say, well, listen, there's unrest over here. There's missionaries being murdered. The church is being persecuted around the world. We can see riots. We can see wars. We can see genocide. Where is this peace on earth? 
And maybe even if we narrow it in just a little bit more closely and we say, okay, never mind all of the international headlines, let's bring it into our relationships. This is often that time of year where the loneliness or the broken relationships feel more painful than they normally do. And so maybe you're thinking about relationships that have been lost. Maybe you're thinking about family members that you've become estranged from. Maybe you're thinking about friends that are no longer friends. All of a sudden, this ache of brokenness becomes acutely um, painful this time. And we say, where is this peace on earth? And maybe we keep bringing this even closer to home, and we say, what about my own heart? You say, Glenn, I, I don't know if you know this, but, but I struggle with anxiety. Or, or maybe you're saying, I, I'm one of those people that deals with, with panic attacks. And actually, it's becoming more and more common. There's this anxiety age that we seem to be in. Anxious, worried, things beyond our control that all of a sudden take over our thoughts. Moments where it's hard to breathe, where it feels like the walls of a room are closing in. And you say, peace on earth. Not sure I buy it. What is Jesus talking about? In Luke 2, our text for this day, this morning, if you'll turn with me in verse 10, you'll you hear the words of the angel again. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. If you're the underlining type, that would be a phrase to underline, all people. Okay, I'm listening. And then he says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, older translations said peace on earth and goodwill to men, but as they've discovered more manuscripts, better manuscripts, more reliable manuscripts, translators decided that a better way to translate this phrase is not peace on earth and goodwill to men, but rather on earth, let there be peace among the ones with whom God is pleased. In other words, you could say on earth, let there be peace to the favored ones, to the ones that God smiles on, to the ones that God turns his face towards with favor and with delight, to those people let there be peace. It's interesting because in the early years of the first century, peace was quite a buzzword. Maybe like some of our buzzwords for today, you know. But peace was a buzzword that was on everybody's lips because of the Pax Romana. Pax Romana was the, the legacy of Caesar Augustus. In fact, I wanted you to see a picture of Augustus. There he is. Look at that guy. There's a statue, of course. There's many statues, and you see the, the years of his reign. But he was a bit of a journaler, which is sort of not what you think of when you think of emperors. Um, but he wasn't journaling in the way we think of self-reflective diaries. He was, he was writing things down as a way of you know, giving his own spin on his legacy, if there was Instagram or Twitter, Caesar would have been very good about his own brand. He knew how to put this image out there. And so what he would say was, I undertook many wars, civil and foreign, by land and sea, in every part of the world. And as a victor, I pardoned all citizens who sought mercy. Caesar's account of peace was, is this. Listen, I went 
And of course, where I went, there was good news. It's good news that I arrived. Now, if you didn't see it as good news, we'd just kill you. But if you embraced it as good news, then hey, you get to be given mercy. Caesar's peace was a peace that came by violence and by force, but everybody thought it was such good news, and so they built this altar to him. In the next slide, you'll see it. The Arapasus Auguste, the altar of Augustan peace, finally put up around 9 BC. There it is. This was a big deal. This was their way of saying, we've done it. We've brought peace to the world. We've made wars stop. Yes, we've engaged wars, but we've only fought wars to bring peace. Sounds familiar. And Caesar said, we can do this because our way is right. And once we impose our way, then there will be peace on earth. Tacitus was a Roman senator, but also a historian later in the first century. And he had a different take on things. Tacitus said, the Romans call it empire. It is, in fact, murder and rapine and profit, forceful seizure of property. That's what rapine means. I had to look that up myself. <laughs> they make a desolation and they call it peace. Think about that. They make a desolation and they call it peace. They ruin things. They fragment things. They cause things to be broken up and torn down. And they call it peace. <clears throat> now I think of Jesus' words in John 14 where he says, My peace I give to you, but not as the world gives do I give peace. What is this peace that Jesus brings? How is it different than Caesar's peace? How does it come in a different way? I think one of the first things you could observe from this is that Caesar brings his peace from the outside in, and Jesus begins to work his peace from the inside out. Caesar imposes it by force. Jesus says, let me come announcing the favor of God and watch what happens as your heart begins to be pulled back together. But see, not only is the way that Jesus brings peace different from Caesar's, the kind of peace is different too. This word peace in the Old Testament tradition and Jewish tradition is this word shalom, which maybe is a word that we know and we're familiar with. But shalom is more than just a hello or a goodbye. Shalom is this sense of saying, may everything be well with you. May your whole life be flourishing because things have been put back together. You're coming together and coming alive. This is this idea, and we, we see this in the prophets. We see this even in the Old Testament reading this morning when Isaiah says, oh, you barren woman, sing Something's coming. You're going to be, your descendants are going to outnumber even those who were never barren. Enlarge your tents. It's time to get ready. This is a picture of flourishing. This is a picture of shalom. This is a picture of everything being brought back together, coming together, coming alive. I think the kind of peace Jesus is talking about is wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. Church, what if it's true this morning that Jesus has come to knit our broken and fractured hearts back together again? What if it's true that Jesus has come to knit us back together again? Imagine this. Think of this. 
You know, I, I think sometimes when we think of peace, maybe Jesus' peace, we think of, oh, peace with God, right? Yes. But somehow when we hear that phrase, peace with God, it means something really small in our minds. It means I have no more guilt, right? It means I have no more guilt for my sins. I wonder this morning if our hearts could begin to be awakened to see something larger, something deeper, something richer. The peace with God, yes, it includes the guilt being washed away, and oh, what a gift that is. But part of that, along with that, is this whole idea of Jesus saying, let me take these separate pieces in your life, and let me begin to weave them, knit them, pull them together again. Imagine that. James 1 in our New Testament reading and James said, where, where do these wars come from? Where do these strife, where does strife come from? And he says, could it be that you've got desires in you that are warring against yourself? It's kind of a picture of a mutiny in your own heart, of sort of factions and, and, and fragments inside your own life saying, well, I, what I really need is this, and, and what I've got to have is this, and if I could just make them happy, and if I could keep them happy, and if I had, and, and all of these things that go... And this person is displeased with me, and this person hurts, hates me, and this person is... And shattered pieces, and out of that, how many times do we inflict brokenness on others because there's brokenness inside of us? How many times do we attack because there's something that is not well inside us? How many times do we create strife Because something is not right. See, this is why it doesn't work to look at other situations and say, okay, I am going to fix these broken relationships and I'm going to force them to be right. That's what Caesar tried. Jesus says you can't do that. Because if they are causing you brokenness and pain in your life, it may just be because there's something deeper broken in them. And you can't knit them back together. Only Jesus can. And so Jesus comes to bring peace, to bring wholeness to fractured and fragmented lives, to knit us back together again. Could you imagine what having this peace might kind of look like? What would it look like? What would it look like? And for some of you, you think, I I can't even imagine that right now. There is such an emptiness, there's such an ache, there's such a pain. I'm not sure I can picture that. But what if, what if when you heard the, the words from a friend or a family member, it didn't immediately strike you as rejection? What if when you heard correction, it didn't immediately sound like abuse? What if something could become whole in us so that even when there's trouble and conflict surrounding, there's a peace that abides. What would that be like? I imagine that it's a little bit like Jesus in the boat, in the middle of the storm. Such a beautiful, powerful picture. Storm is raging, the winds are rising, the waves are crashing into the boat, and the disciples, there's an unrest in their own hearts. And so when there's unrest in your own hearts, what do they do? They create more panic. Have you ever been with people like that? 
where there, there's no unrest in here. So then the first sign of unrest outside, they ratcheted up more. I was on a flight once and there was really bad turbulence. And I was, you know, I was a little bit nervous from grabbing the, you know, the armrest, kind of praying under my breath a little bit. May have been praying in tongues, maybe. Just, you know, just <laughs> trying to pull out all the stops here, you know. And, the, and then there's a person on the row across the aisle from me that all of a sudden I hear go, oh! <laughs> And I thought, dear woman, it's going to be okay. Like, this is not the day that we die. You know, like, it's all right. And so, so sometimes you, you, you see someone respond to a situation and there's this unrest inside their hearts that can't help but boil over. And so then the situation becomes a dangerous situation or a, or a, a stressful situation. But can you imagine being Jesus on that boat? Turbulence like crazy. I mean, worse than like anything we've experienced, right? And the, the ships, the boat's rocking and all this stuff. And what's Jesus doing? Running around saying, don't panic, don't panic. What's he He's sleeping. <laughs> and of course, the disciples interpret his peace as indifference. The disciples interpret his peace as indifference. I think there's a whole sermon in here to explore that. That sometimes other people want you to join their crises. And because you have peace in your heart, you don't. And they interpret it as you don't care. That's a whole nother sermon, but you could meditate on that, couldn't you? The disciples interpret Jesus' peace as indifference. Do you not care that we're going to die? And Jesus says, what's going on, guys? This is like rocking me to sleep, you know? And then he says, okay, okay, I'll fix the storm here. Peace. What would it be like to have so much peace that even the circumstances don't change it? That even the turmoil and the trouble around you don't phase it? So much peace that actually where you go, peace follows. What would it be like to be the person that not only does the storm not, not, not um, disturb your peace, but out of your own heart, comes the ability to speak peace to someone else. Have you ever been that person? Where someone comes to you like, I don't know. and you're saying, shh, it's okay. Parents, we do that all the time, right? Yesterday we went to go cut down a Christmas tree. It was the first time doing it. We brought our three older kids with us. We were at the Burleys and the Redalls. And it was, for about five minutes, it was like a magical moment. Just <laughs> five minutes. And then my children decided they should slide headfirst down a hill. Not thinking that, of course, snow is going to get everywhere. And then they thought, well, surely the way to fix this is to pull off our mittens, right? So they pull off their mittens, and now their hands are telling them that they're about to fall off. (laughs) So they're... And you're saying, shh. Jesus says to his disciples, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Two chapters later in John 16, what does he say? He says, these things I have spoken to you that you might have peace. If only Jesus had stopped right there. These things I have spoken to you that you might have peace. Amen. Let's have lunch, everyone. These things I have spoken to you that you might have peace for in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, 
I have overcome the world. It's worth reflecting on those prepositional phrases. These things I have spoken so that in me you will have peace. But in the world you will have trouble. Where will you have trouble? In the world. Anyone living in the world? Uh Uh-oh. But then he says, but there's another prepositional phrase. Remember grammar? In the world. In who? In me you will have peace. So peace then is not the absence of trouble, is it? Peace is not the absence of trouble, but it is the confidence within it that you are being held together by the God who favors you. See, I think we've served up a little lie in church. We've said, come to Jesus and you'll have peace. And peace looks like you'll be perfectly put together. And all of a sudden, your homes will be beautifully decorated. Your, the, the, the husband and wife who work will be extraordinarily prosperous. Your children will be models of obedience and shall rise up each morning to call you blessed. <laughs> it's not what my kids do. <laughs> and you shall come downstairs and they will have made you breakfast and their Bibles will be open. And peace. Who wants this peace? Say yes to Jesus today. I think we're far enough along that we can say baloney. Baloney. Garbage. These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace, for in the world you will have trouble. See, if there was no trouble, there would be no need for peace. If there was no trouble, there's no peace. It's superfluous. You would have no need to say it. But Jesus is saying, it's precisely because you will have trouble in this world that I am showing you a way to have a different kind of peace. And it's a peace that comes from me. It's not the absence of trouble, but it's a confidence within it that you are being held together, knit together, pulled together by the God who favors you. Now you're listening to this this morning and you're saying, well, Glenn, that's, that's nice, but I, I, uh, I, I don't know what this really means for my life. Like, is anything ever going to change? Colossians 1, verse 19 through 20 says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. It's worth saying that the peace that we have now in Christ is a witness to the great shalom that is coming to the cosmos. See, this is not as if the the, the hope that we're given as Christians is not some sort of weird mind-over-matter trick where we just say, yeah, I know, life sucks, but hey, there's peace. Just keep saying it. It's God saying, no, listen, I'm doing something deep inside of you, and it's going to be a slow work. It's going to be a long work. But even this hidden inner work is a witness to the great outward peace that will take over one day. It's the kind of peace that Isaiah imagines when he says a wolf and a lamb will lie down together. When he says that the the, the lion will lay down and eat the straw with the ox and a child shall lead the way. We prayed that prayer this morning. It's this kind of peace that's coming to the cosmos. Every time one of our hearts gets set right with God and gets knit back together, it is a witness in the world that this is what God is bringing God is putting his world back together. 
You say, Glenn, still, again, all of this sounds too good to be true, and I, I really just want to know what I have to do to get this peace. I'm ready now to pull out my wallet. You've already done the butt weight. There's more. I'm, what, what is it? What kind of subscription service? What kind of how often do I have to fast? What sort of rigors do I have to do? What kind of spiritual discipline do I need to embrace? I mean, what, what's the ca- okay, okay, what's the catch? Because deep down, if we're honest, most of us feel that this kind of peace is beyond our reach. That surely this is something that saints and monastics know, but not ordinary people who fight with their spouses and friends. Not ordinary people who have unrest. It's not for us, is it? So who is it that hears the choir of angels? Who is it that the dark night sky breaks open to? Shepherds. Now we may idealize shepherds because we probably don't know any. (laughs) And we can domesticate them in our nativity scenes as being these sweet, tender dudes. But shepherds in the first century were rogues. Were lowlifes. I mean, these are the people that were dirty. In fact, they were nomads. They were nomadic. They moved around from place to place. There's a chance that they joined that profession because they had no more roots, no more tribe or community or family. These were the people who were convinced the best of their years was over. These were the people who convinced, were convinced that all that was good in life was already in the rearview mirror. These are the people who knew that they might as well just make their peace with their lowly place. And then one dark night, the sky begins to light up. One angel. Wait, no, it's not just one. It's a whole choir of angels. And they keep saying that God is bringing peace to the ones that he favors. But he couldn't mean us, could he? Church, what I want you to know this morning is that this good news is for all people. This good news is for all people. This good news is that you don't have to earn your way into this kind of peace. That you can't. This isn't about new meditation techniques New habits, new tricks, new products, new gimmicks, new this or that. Peace comes when you know that you are favored by God. And there's not a thing you can do to earn that. Now think about that. Think about that. The God who called the stars. The God who taught angels to sing has a choir of angels singing to you this morning, saying, do you see it? You're favored. You're fortunate. Some might say, you're lucky. A new kind of peace is coming in a new kind of way, and it's coming to even you. Is this too good to be true? Can you imagine it? Would you bow your heads this morning?
Shepherds respond by leaving, by leaving their place and by making their way to the manger. This is a picture of a kind of, it's, this is a bit of a picture of what we do in confession each week. It's a kind of leaving, a kind of saying, oh my God, your grace is so stunning. I let go of what I've been trying to do. I let go of what I've been trying to cling to. I let go of the peace I've been trying to force. I let go of the, 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 the earning that I've tried to do. I let go of this heart that is fractured that I've been trying to pull back together. I let go. I leave. Now bring me to the manger. Bring me to the place where Jesus lies vulnerable like a baby. The place where God announces to you You are favored. Peace to you. Peace to you, for you are the favored one. Would you bow your head and just quietly where you are, begin to say yes to that. Say, God, thank you for that. God, I confess. I confess the sin of self-effort, the sin of trying, the sin of insisting on my own way, the sin of Believing that I can put myself back together again. Forgive me, Lord. Just quietly where you are.